Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, October 21st, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 318. It might not be clean, but at least I still have bookshelves behind me. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> Finally, getting used to the fact that we're on our way to winter. I'm Rob Van Hoff. Uh, I'm so happy about it. Don't you love the winter time? I like the fall. I like the pretty colors, but it's getting cold. It's getting cold. I love it. I love it when the when it gets dark at like four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I love it when it starts to snow, which we never get. But t- maybe this year, Tacoma will finally get snow again. We're supposed. It says that we have in our neck of the woods possible snow this weekend. We have we get snow about once every three years, and I mean like a good dump about once every three years. And it's been three years since we've had a good dump. My kids are ready and waiting, but I think I enjoy the snow even more than my kids. I do. I really like it. So. It's going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Winter's coming. And, you know, I don't celebrate, my family does not celebrate Christmas. However, I do have to admit, I thoroughly enjoy the Christmas season. There is quote-unquote Christmas music. We play, uh, we play Oscar Peterson holiday music in our house year-round. You mean piano player? Yeah. Yeah. Jazz, baby. He's good. So, I mean, it's it's often that people will come to our house and we will have to quickly change the the Pandora station because something like sleigh bells or, you know, have yourself a Merry Christmas will be uh, playing on the piano in the background. <laughs> oh, quick, change it. Hey, I we 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 watch uh we like to watch that movie Elf. Oh yeah. <laughs> with uh Will Ferrell. Yeah. Home Alone is a, is a constant in our house as well. Home Alone. I think Home Alone and Elf are two like movies. You know, we like to watch, make popcorn and, and we have like this ritual watching of, no, it's, it's usually, you know, I don't know. It's not like we wait till I, sometimes, you know, okay, we might watch people, it after Thanksgiving. Morning, 10 a.m. Santa's coming to town. Santa! 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean Thanksgiving's works great. Works your too. new favorite. Works your new favorite. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it's just I like Bob Newhart. You know, Will Ferrell is funny in that movie. So anyway. Yeah, you know, there I, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is always fun. And uh because, you know, who doesn't like eating just way too much food? <laughs> but uh with that said, I have to. I I would probably have to uh, admit that December is probably my favorite month of the year. I really like it. So people are always nice, you know. The Christians are always, you know, nice to each other, even though we're in different denominations. It's like I can go hug a Lutheran because they're, you know, it's Christmas time. That's great. All right. Well, what's up, everybody? How's it going? Uh, Let's put up our new producers. We got producers and. Did we just freeze? Okay, good. Um, so we have new producers, and there they are. Uh, why, speaking of new producers, okay, we, we got Annabelle is a new producer, and so uh, I said to Annabelle, is there something that you would like us to read or say? And she said, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Angela Alvarez. I think, uh, she says, I think I want to shout-out for my daughter, Angela. A while back, she had wanted me to email you and let you know she likes listening to your show. She's 11. That's awesome. Um, Angela, my kids don't even listen to this show. (laughs) Um, And so I think you are a cut above the rest. Uh, Yes. And uh, yeah, good job. It shows that you are highly intelligent. Uh, I can tell that Angela Alvarez is a highly intelligent child because she listens to this show. Um, I don't know what's going on, but I have like some kind of a, there's like a squeak sound in my mic. I I don't know if that's coming across to everyone else. It sounds like someone's taking like a balloon and rubbing their hand on it way in the background. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, and I also asked if, if Angela wanted, uh, she had any, uh, she, uh, Angela? No, Annabelle. I'm sorry. I also asked if Annabelle had any uh, sound clips she wanted to hear. Uh, she only knew of one. And so here we go. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo <laughs> all over us. You've been blessed. <laughs> there you go. Um, and <clears throat> somebody in the uh, Love is Bigger says, what is your response to Merry Christmas? My response to Merry Christmas is Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. When when people when people say Merry Christmas, I usually say Merry Christmas back or uh, Happy Holidays. I don't have a. Uh, I am not a person who is offended by other people trying to wish me good. If anyone says anything, uh, it's usually my son will say something like, "We don't celebrate Christmas," uh, which, and yeah, that's totally fine. Um, Usually, I I don't think it's worth the uh, trying to get wrap people's head around, you know, the the checker at Target doesn't care whether or not I celebrate Christmas or not. Um, if I have more time, sometimes I'll try to have a conversation, but I just don't. I'm not one of those people. I wish people the best. Um, okay, let's let's jump in. Let's do it. Should we do it? Let's do it. 
first, yeah, what are we talking? What, what, okay. what are we talking about? Well, today? first we got to tell people to call call us two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five, and send us email. See hegatorresource dot com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications to our YouTube channel because we really want you to. It's the law. It's the new when law in I, I, in the United States. You have to subscribe. I had a question real quick yeah. before we jump in. Go. When does season when does season seven end and when does season eight begin? Because yeah. if I remember right, it was actually it wasn't like January, it was actually December. It's December fifth. Okay, so we have one month basically left. Yeah. Or or so. Yeah, until of season, season seven. Yeah. Wow. So does season eight entail a new like a new intro even, do you I, think? I what mean, do you think? It's supposed to, but um, you know, I don't know. How are we gonna top the current intro? I, I went on to a show last night. Uh, Maybe people need to send in some ideas. I, I, oh, our, our email address is still across the... Sorry about that. I, I went on to a uh, YouTube channel called Beginning of Wisdom last night. There was some... Oh, how did that go? That's right. It was all right. It, there were some technical issues in terms of, you know, the, the audio and the video were off. The My audio apparently was really quiet. So, I mean, just some minor technical issues in terms of the... Uh, in terms of the uh, the discussion itself, I think that, you know, we were both very cordial to each other. And he told me beforehand, you know, this isn't like a, this isn't a, an attack or, you know, a bait and switch. I, I forget his exact words. But and he was talking about when I talked to uh, when I when I was when I talked to Sean from Kingdom in Context that, you know, he he was super dishonest and then used editing to basically um, re, you know, edit in a counter mm-hmm. on how many times. Anyway, it was just super dishonest and it showed his heart and showed <laughs> It showed honestly his heart. His heart sh- showed forth its uh, its his theology. It's exactly what happened. Anyway, mm. so uh, Andrew uh, on um, beginning of uh, beginning of wisdom was very cordial. Obviously, we disagree on things, but because we were trying to be, uh, you know, I didn't want to step on his toes, and I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to give fair. Um, representation of his view as well. Uh, you know, I didn't want to just kind of steamroll him. So because of that, I think that we didn't quite get to the stuff that he really wanted to, which was maybe specific passages of scripture that he wanted to talk about and stuff like that. Uh, it was more a general overview of why I, you know, how I approach the idea of Torah observance. And um, yeah, so I, but I thought it went, I thought it went well. I, you know, I, I actually, yeah, I, I thought it went well. Uh, Joshua says, uh, you guys should wrap your intro, had a little beatboxing and some more bass. <laughs> oh man. Uh, that reminds me of the time that somebody said that we should produce a show that is nothing but puppets instead, like just. I think that's a great idea or our bobbleheads. <laughs> and then, and then what we do is we like when. When I'm talking, I, I like kind of hit it and it goes, duh, duh, duh. and then when you talk, it's like, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> oh man! If somebody produced, if somebody took one of our shows and produced, like, you know, puppets instead you know of what us, we need to talking, do. This is what we need to do. We so need funny. to take a classic, old school Robin Caleb show. Yes. Uh, uh, recording or like one of our weeks, one of our shows. And then what we do is we do our we do a mystery science theater three thousand oh, thing yes. where where you and I where show. you and I comment yes. on our own, own show on our own show and you see our this guy's a our moron. silhouettes <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness I can't 
Yeah, we should do that. Somebody turn off my mic. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> like uh, can we fast forward this part? <laughs> you know, like, Joshua, wouldn't that be funny? Joshua says for the intro, we need more cowbell. Yeah, we'll keep the music. We paid a lot of money for that music. I, people don't realize that, but, you know, I got tired of trying to create my own music, and I finally just said, let's just license some music, and we did, and that's what we licensed, and everybody loves it. So it was obviously well worth it. Okay. Um, with all that said, let's jump into some theological. Let's jump into the theological realm, Rob. Let's go. Get your get your thinking. Hell, yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, Romans seven six. Hello, somebody says. I don't even know who this is. I didn't write down their name. This is how lazy I've been this past week. What does it mean to serve in the newness of spirit rather than the oldness of the letter? Thanks and blessings. You want to go first? Go for it. Oh. <laughs> Hi everybody. <laughs> so this is a great, a great question. Uh, maybe Caleb can find out who did that, who asked it. Um, and so the the verse that I think we're looking at is Romans seven six. Yes. And it says now, now I'm reading the NASB. Now we have been released from the law. Yep. Having died to that by which we were bound. Okay, hang so on. That, wait, stop right there. What do you think that is? Let's explain this because I, I, I'm, I'm, you and I well, are going to agree. Let me, let me re, so, okay. so that we may serve. In other words, so that we may serve in newness of spirit and not the oldness of letter. Okay, what, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, what are we released from? We're not, uh, you know, uh, I would say that the, predominantly within the Christian realm, people are going to say this means that we don't have to keep Torah anymore, that we don't have to keep the laws anymore. What I would say is that this is talking about the condemnation of the, the law. We are released from the condemnation of the law. Exactly. Paul makes this point. Now, this is Romans 7, but Romans 8 verse 2 makes it entirely clear. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. You know, therefore, there's no condemnation for all who are in Messiah. So the idea is exactly what Caleb just said. Paul clarifies, you know, in the next chapter, what, what we call chapter 8. Exactly. He makes the point that Yeshua took on the covenant curses. Yeshua suffered to for the covenant curses so that uh, to pay our debt, we, basically we were in the curse column of the Torah. That's what the curses of the law is. And that's what Dan, is in Daniel 9. You know, Daniel says we, we are suffering the curse of the Torah of Moses. Why? Because we're all sinners. We broke it. We were in exile. And God is righteous. God is just. The affirmation that God is just means that God is, is rightly, I'm rightly, if I'm a sinner and I see that I'm rightly condemned before God's law, God's holy law, which Paul also says in Romans 7, that the right. law is holy. He also, so wait, refer- again, he, he also says that the law in Romans seven fourteen. he also says that the law is spiritual. And, right. and th- this ties into what we're talking about, but keep exactly. going. And I am, and I am sold under, I am uh, flesh. I am carnal. Right. The point here we have to. If you just take this verse and you just look at the end, oh, we're to serve in the newness of spirit and not the oldness of the letter. One might think, oh, uh, the written law no good. Now we're under a new dispensation, and you know we don't have to look at that anymore. But then that doesn't fit with Paul's immediate context because he says, "What shall we say?" The very next verse is the Torah sin. No, on the contrary, if it wasn't for the Torah. I would not know what sin is. And even earlier in Romans, he says, through the Torah is the knowledge of sin. So 
Paul is affirming that the Torah is the revealed word of God. The revealed, it's not man's invention. It is the revealed word of God through Moses and the prophets that testify to the righteousness of God. Through Yeshua. Yeah, exactly. Well, they ultimately point to Yeshua, and that's chapter 10. But, Yeshua is the telos right, of but the hang, Torah. Hang on just a sec, though. My point there in saying that, though, is that the Spirit indwells, and the Spirit is the one who allows us to understand and believe and to understand the, the that we are set free from the curse of the law. Right. And right. this is the uh, this is what I understand this verse to mean that we we obey in the newness of spirit meaning that the spirit is the one that indwells us and therefore we we find salvation because the spirit of the Lord allows us to do so. By the way, it was Evelyn Young who who asked Thank the question. Thank you, Ev- Thank you, Evelyn. We we cannot legislate ourselves into the kingdom. Right. Exactly. We Thank can't you. we yes. can't and Paul puts this maybe not so much in Romans, but in, in the Corinthian correspondence, he talks about those who have the written law of Moses, but they read it, but there's a veil. It's like right. God has not opened their eyes. Okay, right. those people are trying. It's not that those people aren't trying to apply the Torah to their life. They are. Those people, even though they're, they still are reading it every Shabbat, but because their hearts have not turned to the Lord and says that where the spirit of the Lord is, or where the Lord is, there is a spirit. I'm sorry, I'm messing that up. Where the spirit is, uh, and the, sorry, it's Second uh, Corinthians 3. I think I'm, I'm brutally remembering here. But the, the core point is Paul himself believed he was righteous as when he was Saul of Tarsus persecuting believers. Right. He anchored his understanding on what he thought was the, the letter, the letter of the law, he lacked the Ruach. He lacked revelation of who the son of God is. So he did not have new creation heart. The only way, the, the only way that we really read the Torah accurately before the Holy creator is in new covenant community and new covenant participation, which means God writes his Torah on our heart. Right. That's what the newness of the spirit here is talking about the new covenant, new life in Yeshua that is based on faith. And it's like, it's like all the lights are turned on. Right. And we can now see the text. People who have the veil, it's like they don't, they read the text and they can apply it to their life, but they end up creating rules of men to try to make their own righteousness. Right. So the oldness of the letter then, what is oldness of the letter? In my view, it has to do with like those unredeemed Pharisees or Sadducees or Essenes or whatever that are trying to apply the Torah of Moses in their communities and legislate righteousness for people. And that's never going to work because it's always going to be man's definition of things. Only through the revelation of of Yeshua, the, the, the son of God incarnate, who came and lived perfect Torah and died because that's what humans do to what God loves. We, in this, in the flesh, we destroy, we, because we are, because it's the verse right before it actually says when we were verse uh, Romans seven, five, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the Torah were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit unto death. So Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee that was blind and I, you know, was going to put to death anybody who had to do anything with Yeshua. 
And he would have believed that it, he was doing it. What was right? Yeshua says, he says, they, they're going to put you before, they'll put you to death and they'll think, they'll think they're doing it for God. Well, what is, what's wrong with that picture? That's the oldness of the letter. It's the oldness of the letter. It's they've taken the written revelation and they've twisted it to their own dark hearts corruption. It's the only time in the apostolic scriptures that Paul uses the term old covenant, right? He refer, this is what he refers to when he refers to the old covenant. Uh, well, I think in Second Corinthians he he says the reading of the old covenant. Right, exactly. Here that, he but, says but, oldness of the letter. It's, no, no, no. It's, I understand, but the, yeah. my my point is, is when he's referring to oldness, or the old covenant, what he's referring to is reading the Torah without Christ, without the Spirit revealing Christ. In other words, all you're reading is letter. That's how I understand that. Yeah, yeah. That that that's a, an important verse too. That that does parallel. I think we have to read that t- together with this. But yeah, I mean, if we go down, it's like he's not. Oldness of the letter is not saying, oh, yeah, that's God's old revelation right. and it's no longer valid. But I can understand why people have, they jump to that conclusion. Especially if you're, if, if the, if you're going to a church where, where you're hearing is like, oh, that's all done away. Oh, that's done away. Yeah. You know, one of the commentaries that I didn't normally on things like Romans or Hebrews, I'll, before we go on the show, I'll. I'll usually refer to my, you know, check my dad's commentary and see what he has to say. I didn't do that on uh, this morning. And so if you want to do that, you can go to Torah Resource and purchase his two-volume commentary on the Book of Romans. Um, I would encourage you to do that. Okay, let's move on. You ready? Let's do it. Um, somebody asked. Okay, um, so <laughs> as many of you know, I clipped this show into maybe three or four different uh, small little clips so that you know people can see some of the topics that we uh, talk about on the on the full show, and then they come out you know throughout the next week. Well, last week I clipped one that that I we had a discussion on what is theonomy. And theonomy, for those who don't know, is uh, just means God's law. And so it was, uh, we have two comments on this little video that I clipped. Uh, Mark wrote, wrote in and said, the law, haven't you missed the point? And I think what Mark is trying to say here is uh, miss the point in terms of justification. Uh, obviously, we're not talking about justification through law. That's not what theonomy teaches. In fact, if you and I referenced MacArthur last time. Basically, the idea of of theonomy is that a person is justified by faith alone and then sanctified through God's law. Now, different views on theonomy, and this is a very specific theological view, but uh, different views on theonomy are going to suggest the different applications of the law and or the different uh, uh, aspects of the law. And so someone like a John MacArthur or, you know, other theonomists that we know, like um, Jeff Durbin, they're going to say, yeah, of course we keep God's law and this is how we are sanctified. Now, they're they're going to also say that certain laws have changed, like the Sabbath and things like that. But ultimately, the the uh, in, in reference to Mark's comment here on on the YouTube video that we made is that, no, we haven't missed something. Theonomy is about God's law. It's not the idea of theonomy is not uh, in relation to, to justification or salvation. It's in relation to sanctification, and this is what the doctrine of theonomy actually talks about. So, uh, 
Yeah, just to clarify that. But let's move on to Samuel's comment on theonomy, and we can both talk about this. So in other words, could there could be, just like theology, right? theonomy, there could be different views on theonomy. Well, obviously, because that's I, what you're. Yes, trying to, yeah. Yeah, but but ultimately, it's not about. He says, "Haven't you missed something? Missed the point?" And I think that his, I think this comment is in relationship to justification. But ultimately, theonomy is not a doctrine of justification. Theonomy is a doctrine of sanctification after justification has already taken place. Gotcha, gotcha. And so when you when you see good reform preachers like a James White, like a MacArthur, like, you know, others, they're going to say that they hold to theonomy. In fact, MacArthur, a video that I watched from MacArthur said, all good, I think it was a quote, actually, all good Christians, and I'm paraphrasing, all good Christians or anyone who truly claims to be a Christian and is a Christian is a theonomist in some way, shape, or form. In other words, everyone believes that you uh, follow God's commands, and that's ultimately what theonomy is. Now, there's different levels of theonomy. You know, people would say that you and I are full-on theonomists because, you know, we obviously believe in sanctification through the law. So Samuel writes in and says, Theonomy and Reconstruction are tied to Calvinism and a post-millennial eschatology. I've heard this as well, that it's tied to Calvinism. Um, and, I mean, the, the idea of theonomy, you know... Antinomianism or the idea of like anti-lawism is basically what that translates into. Antinomianism is a word that was actually coined by anyone, anyone, Luther. Uh, Martin Luther is the one who actually coined that phrase. There was huge debates within the, uh, within the Reformation about the place of the law. In fact, we have right after the death of Luther, we have this debate among the uh, reformers about the third use of the law. Now, this didn't take place while Luther was alive, but afterwards. And the third use of the law is exactly what we're talking about, which is they debated whether or not the law should have a third use, that is, that Christians should be sanctified through are sanctified through the law. And so, yeah, I can see why someone like Samuel would say that theonomy is ultimately tied to Calvinism. However, at the same time, I would argue that theonomy goes back to Moses. And even before, Abraham kept the law of God, I believe. Okay, with that said, he goes on. So post-millennial eschatology. I don't think it's tied to post-millennial eschatology. I'm a pre-mill. I, I believe in pre-millennium. So he goes on. Speaking uh, of can post-millennial and Torah observance work together or are they mutually exclusive? Furthermore, are there any end time times views that cannot reconcile the Torah observance as you all understand it? Thanks, specifically in regards to animal sacrifices. Um, well, I, I, I would suppose that a post-millennium, so for those who might not know what we're talking about, post-millennium would say that uh, the millennium happens first and then Yeshua comes back. Pre-millennial would say that uh, Yeshua comes back and then the millennium happens. And that's that's where I fall. I fall, fall into a pre-mill uh, theology. I... I would say that the only way that a post-millennium, uh, I mean, this is a really difficult question because post-millennial would probably say that uh, non-believers would be the ones to build the temple. And then we get into the debate on whether or not, um, you know, believers would actually sacrifice or, you know, in, in a temple that was not uh, sanctioned and ran by the prince, that is Yeshua. 
It's, it's really dicey. Thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, I, you know, that question comes up a lot. I think we've talked about it before. I just have to say, you know, I don't know. I've been asked, like, what would you do? Like if, if the Jews, you know, and, and it's just a funny question. If the Jews built a temple, would I go offer sacrifices there? <clears throat> and to me, while that sounds like a simple question, it's pretty complex. I have to, I have to say that I don't know what I would do because I don't know what other situations, what other realities would be pressing in life, you know, in that uh, scenario, it'd be a completely different world. Um, You know, there'd probably be world war. Right. I would think, you know, just because of the, um, just the idea of the, destruction of the temple mount as it is you know when you have that the the dome of the rock and al-aqsa mosque that have been up there for over a thousand years you know you're it's it's gonna be a completely different world and i don't know i, I just i don't know how to answer that question i don't know i'm not i know this i i would i can only say that i'm not that there's no conflict for believers in Yeshua offering sacrifices in the temple. That, that's, that's not a contradiction in my reading of Scripture. I mean, we, and we know that because they were, their believers were still offering sacrifices until the temple was destroyed, it seems. Okay, hang on just a second. I want to I want to throw a little wrench in here because Lee in the chat room says if God doesn't like the altar, then it's not legit in my view. I'm I would probably agree with you, Lee. However, at the same time, just to play devil's advocate, there's no evidence whatsoever that that God lit the altar in the second temple, and Yeshua went into that temple, and it seems as though his family and he sacrificed in that temple. If he didn't, then he was in violation of the law. Which well, even his mom be. went in and offered the two turtle doves. Remember exactly, and so the I mean, question- so so yeah. So the idea of of whether and and this is an important thing because people will say that John the Baptist and Yeshua were more like the Essenes, like they were anti-temple. Well, no, the Qumran people left. They left out of protest, right? You don't, that's not the story of the gospels. Zechariah did not leave. He went and offered incense in the temple and and was visited by the angel Gabriel and given the good news about Elizabeth, his barren wife, that was going to have a baby. That was all at the temple. If God had rejected that place of worship, then what's going on there? Yeshua knocking over the the money changing tables right. is an affirmation of the place right and a condemnation of the present uh authorities but it wasn't a condemnation of the temple as god as the temple um i mean it, even in the sermon on the mount he says you know don't swear against the gold of the temple who's greater the one who you know who is in the temple or the gold right it it yeah. so yeah people need to take some extra time i think when they're if people who have gone too simplistically to say oh yeah end of sacrifice like jesus was i've heard people say oh jesus was vegetarian and he was against animal sacrifice altogether because it was uh animal cruelty have you ever heard this kind of thing no i mean so 
the thing is we got to go, wait, let's, how do we rein all these ideas in? We got to rein these thoughts in and go, okay, let's go back to scripture. It's the same thing with like, we were talking about Romans, you know, the law in Romans. Well, you, we have to be, we have to take in these verses like you've quoted where he says the law is holy, the law is spiritual. What is we we have to affirm, we have to learn to affirm what the scriptures affirm. Yeah, and and you know, in Luke twenty two, it, it he says, "Go and prepare the Pascha." Now, some people think that this means the Passover meal, but the Passover meal itself is the sacrifice that is the meal for Passover. His disciples go and they prepare the Pascha, and then later on in that passage, he's at the table and he says, "I have de- I have earnestly desired to eat this." Pascha right. with you, which means that Yeshua has sanctioned his disciples to go to the temple and prepare the Passover sacrifice for him and his disciples. Which yeah, means that exactly, even though he's yeah. even though he has just turned over tables in you know in the previous what is it the previous chapter at, at the temple and said you know basically given a walloping to uh, those who are trying to sell in the temple, he still sends his disciples to to sacrifice. So whether or not, is the temple legitimate or not in Yeshua's time, I don't think it necessarily was legitimate, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to go through the, that doesn't, it wasn't legitimate in terms of faith in Yeshua in the coming Messiah. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the temporal aspects of clean and unclean are all of a sudden wiped away. You still have to go through the the proper procedures, whether or not that temple is legitimate or not, you still have to go through the proper procedures to be able to participate in the temple itself. Yeshua couldn't be uh, defiled by a corpse and then walk into the temple. That's just not the way it, it goes. So... Uh, In Mark, it says Yeshua wouldn't even let people carry things through the temple courts. Remember that? Yeah. <clears throat> Let me see. I'll find that verse. Like you could, you could say, like, why? Why is he doing that? Yeah. It's because he's he's there. He's affirming the temple now, it, but he's also says that it's going to be destroyed. But even in him, in his disciples after his time with them, that they learn that the temple is going to be destroyed. That doesn't mean they run away and they never go back to the temple. Rather he tells them to wait in Jerusalem and they're, they're, they're they're fellowshipping at the temple every day. Right. You know, so even they, they are living in a situation where they know that the clock is ticking on this temple but they don't jump from that thought saying, okay, well, Yeshua said this is going to be destroyed and hardwire a connection to, therefore, this place is worthless and we're out of here. Right. They don't make that connection. So should we as Christians make that connection? Should we as believers in Yeshua make that connection? I don't think so. Christopher in the chat room says, is becoming unclean a sin? No, absolutely not. It, it have a woman having her menstrual monthly cycle is not a sin. A man having uh, marital relationships with his wife and having a uh, discharge is not a sin. So clearly, it's not a sin to become unclean. However, what does it show? I think that, and we've talked about this many times, but I think that becoming unclean is always associated, in some way, shape, or form, with with death of some kind. And so uh, the difference between coming into the, the space where God dwells on earth is that we are not attached to death anymore. Right. Uh, a death takes place to make us free from death. 
And this is obviously the clear, clear uh, pr- prophecy and looking forward and or looking back at the uh, at the work that that the Messiah would do on the cross. But being unclean itself is not a sin. Okay. I, I found that verse just so so it's Go in Mark it. 11. So it says they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple, began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. So he drove out those who were buying and selling aside in addition to overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Then it says he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. Now that's the, that's the NASB, the, the skewos could be any vessels. So Yeshua was not permitting people to carry things through. That's, that is a, what I say, that's not your Sunday school Jesus, right? He's, he's in the physical space of the temple courts, and he says he's not permitting that. He's actually taking a stand, you know, putting his life on the line, essentially, for the sake of, of what people are doing in that space. So in, in the chat room, Andre says, no, we all become unclean on a regular basis. This is not true. We don't become unclean on a regular basis. We are all unclean all the time. There's no way to become clean. We don't have a temple and we don't have the ashes, <clears throat> pardon me, of the red heifer. Yeah. And therefore, we are all, the entire world right now is in a perpetual state. Yeah, we've state. talked about this. Yeah, yeah corpse defilement. We're yeah, all we're under all, corpse defilement. So, from, the, from the perspective of the Torah, there is no place that, 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 that who was it who told me they were on a flight to Israel and they had a guy who was com, in a complete, in a complete uh, bag because he was a Cohen. And the idea was he could have a zipper and he could like that because th- that's oldness of the letter. That yeah, yeah. is oldness of the letter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or the idea that, that young priests, they're going to like keep them from ever touching the ground, you know, and stuff like this because they're going to they're, thereby become defiled. And, and the thing is, it's that's oldness of the letter right there. Yeah, yeah, it's a total miss. It, it, they've totally missed it. <clears throat> okay, should we move on? Let's go to our main topic. And this quote unquote main topic. We haven't even got to our main topic yet. Wow, I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> and we're good. No, uh, this could be a, I mean, this could be a two minute conversation because anyway, okay, so we did a, a video, I don't know. How many years ago? Probably three years ago. It's on dispensationalism and why we reject dispensationalism. For those of you who don't know what dispensationalism is, I will give you a very quick rundown. Basically, dispensationals believe, as I have understood it, and by the way, my father grew up in a dispensational house. Um, My grandfather was a dispensationalist. My father and my uncle have both rejected dispensationalism since then, and my father's been on this show to talk about dispensationalism. One of the things that always comes up on our video about dispensationalism is that people say, you have no clue what you're talking about. Okay, well, that's fine. However, uh, the basic tenets of dispensationalism are untrue. Basically, what dispensationalism teaches is that Throughout history, God deals with his people in different ways. And um, what these time periods of God's dealing with people are labeled dispensations. So, for instance, you have the dispensation of the law. And this was how God dealt with 
Israel. He dealt with Israel through the law. And now we have come into the church dispensation or the church age. And now we are no longer under law. God has basically, in a way, taken Israel and he has placed them up here on a shelf. And now he's dealing with the church and the church is now under grace and not under law. At some point, most of dispensationalists believe in a pre-trib rapture. What's going to happen in this understanding is that the rapture will happen. God will then take the church and put them into heaven. Let's call that shelf number two. And he will reach up here and grab Israel and bring them back down and put them right here. Anyone who's left after the rapture will now be under a different dispensation. Law will be reimposed. The one nice thing about dispensationalism is that they have those who hold to this theology have really attempted to understand how God deals with Israel in the end time eschatological uh, literature. And uh, the idea that it certainly looks like uh, the Torah is an act, there's another temple, all these kind of things. And so, uh, because of that, which is great, they haven't tried to replace Israel with the church in some ways. In other ways, they have. Um, okay, so with that's the background. Now, Kurt, on our uh, on this YouTube video that we put up several years ago, he says, this is his only comment. He says, God gives man different means of salvation in different dispensations. Now, this is a very poignant comment that shows the utter disgrace to the Bible of dispensationalism. And I will tell you why. If God gives different means of salvation in different dispensations, in different times, then there's no reason that Christ needed to come and die for the sins of the elect. In other words, if God could have saved us through um, uh, keeping the law, or if God could have saved us through a different means of of um, of anything besides the death of the Messiah on the cross, then why would he send his only beloved begotten son to endure a horrific death in human form on the cross? And the answer is, uh, this is just bad theology, um, no matter which way you cut it. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I totally and completely reject dispensationalism. The idea that, and another thing that, that dispensationalism does is says that God's holiness changes. And Kurt's comment here is a perfect example of this. Basically, what happens is, is that God, if God's uh, anger and God's uh, just justification or his justness in, uh, in his holiness can change, then ultimately this means that God's holiness can change as well. In other words, if God's uh, if God God can be satisfied through a different means of uh, retribution for sin than the death of someone, than death, then ultimately um, his his holiness changes. Let's also go back to uh, my original comment about different means of salvation. If I could become in a uh, different dispensation uh, saved by the death of a bunch of bulls and goats, if that actually made me righteous before God, why in the world would God send Yeshua to die on the cross? Why not just continue to make it so that bulls and goats work? I mean, they're just bulls and goats. So obviously, uh, I fully reject the idea that God uses different means of salvation in different dispensations. Rob? 
Yeah. And I'm reminded of the parallel idea of how Abraham could happily worship using slaughtery of animals and King David and Isaiah, right? And then Daniel, who couldn't, praise at the time of the sacrifice while he's in Babylon, because there's no temple, no operating priesthood, but yet he's praying at that time and he's granted the vision uh, concerning the end times. And then, but now today Christians would say they'll ridicule the idea of animal sacrifice, right? So what, hap- what, what happens in the human heart that our father Abraham, who scripture says he was justified by faith, had no, no conflict offering animal sacrifices, but yet Christians today would laugh that and say, oh my goodness, you're, you're going back to the letter of the law. You're, you, you don't understand what Jesus did for you. And that's like, that, that is a, it's a mix up on their part. It's, it's a presumption for me to mock something that God commanded. Right. Well, what are you going to do? Stone your children? You know, right. that's mocking God's standard of righteousness. It doesn't mean that Great even point. though, like we were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, I think uh, like death penalty for rape, right. In the Torah. Well, we might not in our nation put to death, generally people who do that and then people in oh that's that's too harsh maybe well not according to god's righteousness right right god's standard now that doesn't mean and this is going to touch a little bit on theonomy and that i don't think we're i don't think god wants us to try to overtake government and impose the torah on everybody in the world because that that that's what Israel was trying to do the, the the new covenant is that God writes his Torah on the hearts of the believers. And we are enduring a sinful world and bearing as witnesses to Yeshua until he returns. We're not to fix. It's not like we can fix the world and then say, okay, Yeshua, the world's in a good, we, we've, we've fixed it now and you can come back. Right. That that's, that's not it. So the place However, that's if, what if, some Christians believe, right? If I say, if Abraham, who was, who was, Righteous by faith, core core principle of a Bible believer should be able to say that Abraham was justified by faith, and we too are his children by faith. If Abraham offered animal sacrifice as part of his worship of God, then, then we need to accept that we need to be open to understanding animal sacrifice as part of worship of God, that is not contradictory to salvation by faith in, in Yeshua. What I mean, this, what the reason I'm zeroing in on that is because people say, well, Yeshua replaced the sacrifice or he was the final sacrifice kind of thing. And we, we would also have to assert that therefore, if Abraham was justified by faith and offered sacrifices, he didn't view the sacrifices as a means of him obtaining righteousness by right. God, because he was already understood that he was righteous by faith. And Paul and Paul nails this down, right? He uses Abraham as the model of salvation by faith. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And and he quotes David too, and in Romans four, he, he quotes a psalm saying, "David said, Blessed is the man whose the Lord does not impute sin against him.' Well, and w- how does that happen? How does God not impute?" sin on somebody 
That's why, that's why he says it's blessed. This is a blessing. The man whose sins are covered. Well, that's a profound mystery that both Abraham and David and all the, the what called Old Testament believers understood that righteousness is going to come from God. We don't build our own righteousness. Right. Righteousness comes from God and his righteousness will be revealed. And his righteousness is going to reflect how he pays, how he solves the sin problem in the world. And they have from the beginning, this promise of this son of Adam, right? That there's going to be a man to whom the Torah points that the prophets talk about, who is going to, who is not going to be a sinner. And, and how is that going to happen? Right. It's not that Abraham lived in a world full of righteous people. He was in a world full of wicked people, just like we live in a world full of wicked people. Righteousness by faith means righteousness comes from God that we're waiting. And there's the difficulty for believers in Yeshua is that there's suffering and waiting God doesn't, and this is why the the uh, the Calvary, what is it, the Calvary Chapel, the those, the people who've been taught, oh well, you know, I'm just going to be rescued from all this, so I don't really care. The, that does not equip believers who are in face of persecution. Right. The people who are, the people, we're to endure. Right. We're to be lights in the world and to wait and to to love God with all our heart, all our whole all our soul, all our strength and to wait for him and to, to seek him first in all things, not to say, Oh, I I'm out of here. Not to say, I don't need to participate in the, in, in this suffering because, you know, God's just going to come and rescue me from it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I know I kind of just went really broad there. No, but I, I mean, the point of, you just bring up a, a interesting point that, the idea of a pre-trip rapture is, I, I, I think, is um, unbelievably difficult to find in Scripture. Um, I, I understand where people are coming from trying to uh, pull this out of, of the text, but at the same time, um, the there's overwhelming witness that the believers will be persecuted and uh, will go through trial. And well, is, believers are for two thousand years yeah. somewhere in the world. Yeah. Somewhere in the world, yeah. they're being persecuted, right? I mean, and and so what is the theology that says, which is a new idea, right? The pre-trib rapture is pretty new over the last hundred years. But um, yeah, so Caleb, I don't even remember what the f- original question <laughs> that you <laughs> mentioned. I just know it, it Kurt spurred says, on this other thought that Kurt, I had. Kurt says, God gives man different means of salvation in different dispensations. Yeah, I, I guess I just don't. I don't understand that the the gain for that. Well, um, I, I mean, ultimately, let's just bring it back to the Bible. If if uh, Paul does use uh, Abraham as the uh, benchmark for or the model of salvation by faith, and not by works, but salvation by faith, then obviously Abraham was not in a different quote unquote dispensation than us. And uh, the other thing is, is that Abraham wasn't uh, saved by a different means of salvation than us. 
he was saved by faith in the coming Messiah. And uh, the, the text of the Abrahamic covenant, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I mean, this is pretty clear what he believes in. What does he believe in? That the and I mean, the the Hebrew here is is phenomenal uh, because you have from Gen, uh, from Genesis three, you have the idea that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and then we we see the seed come back in play in the Abrahamic covenant. I mean, throughout and we see we we see maybe a hint of Eve's hope that Seth is going to right. Because he, because Abel was killed. So right off the bat, we know that Eve recognized that Abel lived by faith and was killed unjustly. That that right. the, the death, the mistreatment of the righteous, right? I mean, it because Hebrews eleven testifies that Abraham that uh, Abel lived by faith and was righteous before God because Abel himself, but Abel was killed, right? And so that's unjust. That's suffering of the just already. Right. And so when she says, Seth, that God has uh, appointed, you know, another seed, right? that, that the idea is, is this going to be, is, this is Seth going to be, yeah, the, right. our, the Redeemer? Is God right. going to fix it this quickly? And obviously, um, yeah, I, I mean, And I'll, then Noah, is Noah, Noah going to fix? So we could say, if we, if we reduce our salvation issue to say, okay, saved, Noah was saved from the flood, right? And his sons. So you could say, okay, so God used, I, I guess, this, could a dispensational say, well, wait a minute, God flooded the earth and he saved Noah through the ark. So he doesn't save everybody through an ark. So there you have it. He used, you know, or he saved Israel by the hand of David, you know, or he saved Israel by the hand of Samson or Deborah, that these are salvation moments where you have a, a military victory, you know, later in Israel. So I guess, you know, you could say, sure, but that's not dispensation. That's not what we mean by dispensation. Those are, those are uh, battles where God uh, leads his people to victory because, well, for the sake of Messiah, who would be coming for sure. Yeah, um, but, but back to, I mean, you, you brought, you highlighted it perfectly. If we read in the original language, this term, this word seed is kind of the thread that pulls through Genesis and then all the way into, uh, I mean, into the Davidic covenant. We see it, you know, but ultimately this is the, this is the prophetic nature of the coming of the Messiah. And Abraham believes God. He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the one who would come and deal with the, the sin problem. And so it's this faith that Abraham has, that is the saving faith that Paul talks about. And this is why he uses Abraham, because... This is just so awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just awesome. I, I love, you know, how come when Yeshua, we've talked about this time and again, I know, Matthew 8, with the centurion and the healing, he says, many will come from the east and west in the kingdom of heaven and will sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm like, wow, like... We, we, it's so awesome. You know, what God has done is so awesome. And, and, you know, it's so easy to think, I know what it's like, you know, wake up, it's like, okay. Like I was just saying earlier, it's cold out elections on the way COVID, you know, all the kind of stuff that in America people or maybe throughout the world are feeling all these things that are pressing presently for, for where we are in our day and age. 
oh, I hope Yeshua comes back. Well, of course that's true. But that's not, this is, this, these are the things on the earth, right? right? These are earthly things. Caleb and I were bantering a little bit back and forth about the election, right? The idea is, the core, the core thing is we are waiting not for a government of the world to solve our problems. Right, exactly. Right, we, we, and, and we, we are waiting collective, the collective body of Christ throughout all the world is longing for Yeshua to come because that's where righteousness is com- coming from. You know, righteousness, you know, and what that means, what does it mean, righteousness? It means that, it means that what is good and true and holy and pure and loving will be upheld as being eternally true, right? And and vindicated and no longer challenged, right? No longer mixed or mired with, with the wicked and the liars and the cheaters and the evil. And and true justice means that those who are who are evil will be taken away and, and punished right. and they'll, they'll get their desserts, you know? And there's, there's a real sense that, uh, that, that that even goes outside, I think, the body, what we think of the church. There's people, and this N.T. Wright makes this argument, I think, that, that every human, unless they're a sociopath, every human has some sort of idea of justice, and they desire justice. The problem is, if, we're, if our heart is unredeemed, we're going to seek to, to work justice in our own hands. Again, this is going to be then, if you sprinkle it with the Bible, is is uh, oldness of the letter because the redeemed heart is rec- recognizes that righteousness comes from God right. and we have to seek we have to seek God first in his righteousness it doesn't it's not just obvious to us God's righteousness is not obvious to flesh and blood right because we because we want to just establish our own it's been a great conversation. Thank you so yeah, much for good. being a part of it. We really appreciate it. Give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Uh, it's just an answering machine. You won't talk to us. You can also uh, send us email, chagatoryresource.com. Don't talk forget to the machine. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, uh, producer credits are still up for the uh, fall quarter. If you want to be a fall producer, go ahead and go. And get one of those handsome Messiah Matters mugs. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, Well, I think that's going to do it for us. We hope that this conversation has done, well, at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. 